Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders lead leaders. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Josh Ross, who is the CEO and co-founder of Humanitix, a company that has disrupted the ticketing industry. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that my friend Kate Hughes and Dr. Steven Seagal let me know about you because it's not often that I hear of a leader who has successfully transitioned from being a hedge fund analyst to a social entrepreneur. And then on top of that, decided to go that route with their high school buddy who was also in the corporate <laughs> world. So I'm, of course, very curious what influenced that choice. I, I heard that you traveled a lot. Is that right? Yeah, so we're both from Australia, and in Australia, if you go to university, you generally live at home with your parents, so you've got a bit of spare money if you're working a job, and, and we, because we're at the right at the bottom of the world, very isolated, we're known for backpacking, so mm -hmm. did about two years of backpacking through my degree, just cheaply going through Asia and Africa and different parts of the world. Mm. And so you do you think that was part of why you have succeeded? Because, I mean, when I look at you won the Google Impact Challenge, and that your company has doubled in size every six months. I mean, yeah, that's been pretty exciting. COVID put a pause on that, but I'm pleased to share it's back to that and more. Oh, wow. But yeah, uh, traveling was definitely, I mean, I think traveling is the best education one can get if they're lucky enough to have the opportunity. And so it definitely shaped our worldviews and, and made us think a bit differently. And also like reminded of us of how lucky we are coming from a, a wealthy country with a good education system and healthcare system. And that I think there's a moral obligation with that to, to, to give back and to find a way to make a difference for those who are you know dying at six months from therapeutic TB or, you know, don't have access to clean water. And so, yeah, definitely shaped all that. And we read a few books as well during our university days. Um, one in particular was Bank to the Poor by Muhammad Yunus, who uh, invented microfinance as a way of lifting people out of poverty. Mm -hmm. And so if anyone hasn't read that, I highly recommend it. An incredible story. And so that really inspired us on this journey as well. Okay. Well, then I have to ask, a lot of people are inspired by it talk about it, know the importance of it, but you actually did it. So what was the moment that you actually said with Adam, your your co-founder and, and high school friend, we're going to do this now? Yeah. So there were two moments. One was in Sri Lanka. We were both there after the civil war finished and um, we were there for a couple of months and had a lot of time between surfing, hiking and, and living with a local family to, to have lots of chats. And we were coming back to Australia, completing our degrees and joining the corporate world. And we'd had a taste of it through internships and, and um, I was working you know, 30 hours a week at a hedge fund while completing my degree. So we had had a big taste of it. Mm -hmm. And we just recognize that a lot of people are idealistic as uni students, but then kind of just take a job, get a mortgage, move on with life and don't chase the dreams they necessarily had once. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking about what are the reasons why you don't. And, and we thought loneliness was kind of one of the key barriers there. So we committed to each other that if either of us come up with a good idea, we will back the other person so that at least loneliness and that fear of going out on your own isn't a factor. Mm. And so it took about six years, but then we came up with the idea of humanitics. And because I was in an overpaid industry, I stayed <laughs> in my job. We shared my salary and yeah. Adam went full time on humanitics because he had the technology background. We just did that all in a handshake and acted like one new person, one unit. And so, yeah, there was kind of that, that pivotal moment was when we were traveling and having those conversations, thinking ahead, saying we're going to be in our late 20s and everyone around us is moving on, buying a mortgage. And, you know, it's going to be quite scary to step outside of that and take a massive risk. Wow. Well, lucky us that uh, you guys made that choice because I know you've been donating a lot of money, over a million at least, to solving social problems. Yeah, so... exciting. In the last eight months, we've given another two million. So um, it's growing really quickly now that COVID's behind us. 
this yeah, in and, 2023, and, we should give like three to five million to our projects. Beautiful. And then on top of that, you expanded and have your U.S. headquarters now in Denver. Yeah. So we set up a 501c3. And for the audience, if they don't know, we're a ticketing platform where all the profits of the booking fees fund, fund different social impact projects. So a lot of children's charities with education themes. And so if you're running an event at no extra cost, you can have the booking fees fund amazing things for the world. Yeah. And I think that was part of what you were looking for, right? Which industry can you disrupt? And everybody has some kind of <laughs> complaint yeah. about the ticketing industry. And uh, exactly. you, you turn that around. So, okay. So then as a leader though, it's not easy these days, right? And one of the things I read about you is that you're laser focused and you're big on having amazing customer support. Are those some of your leadership best practices or how did you create all the success together with your, with your co-founder? Yes. There's a few key ingredients. I mean, that is one of them. We joke that we put the human back in ticketing because how frustrating when you use a technology company and there's just no one to chat to or troubleshoot with when there's a bug. Mm -hmm. And so our clients of all shapes and sizes can chat to real humans at Humanitix. And the way we do that sustainably is we, we don't have to spend much money on above the line marketing because people love what we're doing. Our fees are way lower than the for-profit ticketing platforms. It's good business to use us, but it's good for the world. So it kind of sells itself. So we don't need to spend a bunch of money on like mass marketing. And instead we put that all into amazing customer service and great product. And mm -hmm. so that is one of our secrets. But in terms of a leadership thing, I'd like to share like, so I started Humanities with my best friend, Adam, and yeah. everyone was telling us, be careful, you're going into business with your best friend. Exactly. And often senior leadership become friends. They have to spend a lot of time together. And so we came up with a rule on day one because uh, we always said, if, if this is going to destroy our friendship, we'll both step away from it. It's not worth that to us, mm. even though we love humanities. And so the rule is that if anything's bothering us, we have to raise it early. Like as soon as you become conscious of it, no matter how small it is, because we recognize that when you don't raise things early, they fester. Adam might be doing something that annoys me. Mm -hmm. I subconsciously stew on it and find it frustrating. And if I don't raise it with him, I'll snap at him about something else mm. and I'll start treating him differently in other ways. It's a complete breakdown in communication. And, and most of us avoid conflict. So we don't raise the small things. But I think that's a mistake. So I've actually started practicing that in all walks of my life. And like any skill, it takes practice because you're stepping into the uncomfortable raising of an issue, even if it's something like the person has bad breath or, you know, really uncomfortable mm -hmm. conversations to have. Or it can it be is. a really easy one. Like you keep leaving your coffee mug in the sink. I put in the dishwasher every day. It's starting to piss me off. So yeah, yeah it's, it, it, you know, really, um, that's, we did that to protect our friendship, but now it's kind of permeated across the firm. And, and it's the leadership style here. You raise raise things early. If you don't raise things early, it's your fault. You're not practicing our culture. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we're very, very religious about that point. Wow. It's kept us best friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I said a speech at Adam's wedding last year. We're still incredibly tight and we haven't had any big fights because you, you stamp out issues early. Well, that's fantastic, especially these days. It seems like conflicts are happening everywhere. So do you also help your team members on, I don't know, methods on how to communicate through conflict or is it just an understanding you should just speak up? Yeah. So, I mean, we do have an annual retreat with the staff and every year we raise this and we discuss it. And, you know, we're, we're about 60 staff, so we're not at the scale yet where me and Adam don't know the leadership and, yeah. and it's grown to that scale. So we're coaching them, we're helping them with their management meetings. And when we're, and every time we identify it not being done, we raise it and coach them on it. But it's not a, other than the annual retreat, it's not a fixed trading regime around it. And I hear you're going to be hiring 
well over 100 people the next couple of years. So do you have any tools on hiring well, or what are some of other tools that you use? Yeah, so we, um, we're we really annoying to apply to job for because we run people through a bunch of technical interviews, but then also a bunch of values fitting views. So they'll meet different people at Humantics from all different teams. And they'll probably have about 10 interviews at Humantics, even if they're joining at an entry-level sales or customer service role. And that's because culture matters a lot to us. Um, we're trying to change the world here. We want people that are values aligned and good at their jobs. So look, it's a, it's a bit more costly to run that type of recruitment process in the short term, but we have incredibly good retention. And so I think it's actually a great like commercial thing to do as well, to make sure you're hiring the right people, not just yeah. from a skill set perspective. So yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of, the, but you know, we've still got a lot to learn when it comes to recruitment. We haven't had to do it at massive scale and we're starting to get into that place. Because to your point, you know, in Denver alone, we'll be hiring over a hundred people in the next two, three years. Yes. And, and so quickly. Yeah, which is wonderful. But does on the technology side of screening people, did you design your own tests or are there any tools you use for culture or technology matches? Yeah, so we have our own cultural interviews where we talk to our values and uh, we have key questions our staff ask and there's no right or wrong answer. It's really about the approach to the answer. From a technical perspective, it changes by department. So, you know, if they're joining our sales yeah. team, there's a bunch of cold call script work. There's a bunch of, yeah, there's different tests and, and the developers. If it's a creative skill set, to us, it's less about testing them on the spot. It's more about getting them to show us their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a passionate software developer or designer and you don't have a portfolio outside of work, you're not really a passionate software developer or designer. You're just doing the job. And mm -hmm. so we want to see more of the creativity outside of what they lasted at their job. Like, okay, you love coding. What have you built in the last? five years mm. what have you done is your side project and so that's a kind of i don't know how unique that is i haven't worked at many other tech companies so but that's definitely an approach we take that i think is a bit unique well and it's obviously working very well so congratulations <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, so you got that you know how to hire well you know how to work with your best friend and uh, then i have to ask did you ever struggle as a leader yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a few areas. On the recruitment side, we're far from perfect. So we've actually been hiring quite a few more remote positions in the last six months. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, we're having a higher turnover rate in the probation period because we've made a few mistakes on the hiring front. For example, mm -hmm. we thought because they're not in our office and they're remote, maybe we can accelerate the cultural sides of the interviews mm -hmm. and, so, and really look more for just technical assessment. And that mm -hmm. turned out to be a mistake pretty quickly. And so we've gone back to that and we run the same intensive recruitment process either way. Also, because we were had shortened the recruitment process and that led to higher attrition, we it was hurting team morale because you have all these people joining and a whole lot of people not making probation that that makes everyone a bit more anxious. And we've never had to do mass layoffs. So, you know, like it's the first time I start having to see an element of high turnover in yeah. new, it's given its new positions. But so, yeah, that's definitely like a, a mistake we made that we've since fixed, but, but you know, we make mistakes all the time. It sounds like you learn fast. <laughs> Try to. I mean, the one thing is Adam was an engineer, you know, worked in tech management consulting and I was a finance guy. Neither of us are marketing and brand people. And mm. so we actually were a week out from launching our product in 2016 and we still didn't have a brand name or a logo. So mm. that's kind of the more, like I call it the fluffy side of business. It's still really important to get right, but it's more fluffy. It's not nuts and bolts. Yeah. We've always been really weak on that. And that's, that's fine when you've got a great product and great customer service, but Actually, what we didn't recognize was from a team morale and like brands important for the outside world, but it's also important for the internal world. We have an amazing story to tell. All our profits go into amazing projects for disadvantaged kids, yes. but disrupting a notorious industry, like telling that story well matters for our own staff as much as it matters for the rest of the world. And so we're getting better at that, but it's just a, it's a blind spot of me and Adams. Well, 
Not anymore, though. So <laughs> that's great. Still well, a lot of strength. We've got a lot of work to do. Yes. Well, so that leads me to another question, which is you brought up remote, right? A lot of leaders have suffered since people have gone remote, especially if they've never been used to leading a remote team. So you made it through the COVID crisis. What tip do you have for other leaders on how to make it through crisis and you know, maybe yeah, even sure. how to lead remote teams? Yeah, sure. So we're still mostly in person. Remote's really for employers we're hiring in Africa. We don't have fixed offices yet there. So it's a temporary thing. But I think the biggest lesson I've got to share from crisis and COVID and, and that, that was thrown on us as a ticketing platform in a pandemic mm-hmm. was um, every other ticketing platform I know of in the world laid off their sales teams and shortly thereafter, you know, laid off their account management teams. And so our largest competitor being Eventbrite, they um, publicly, I think, let go of 45% of their staff. And so at a mm-hmm. time of crisis, their clients had no one to speak to, <laughs> which is not good for your brand in the medium term or long term, right. where as a social enterprise, we have a different lens. Our funders have a different perspective. And we as the leaders, like I don't own 1% of Humanitics, no one does. Uh, We have a very different ethos. And so we sat the whole company down and we said, look, we don't have to let anyone off if we all go down to 80% pay, including me and Adam. And we hunker down and let's do this as a team. We don't know what the future holds. So like, we'll have to review this in six months, but we can last six months. And let's just, a sales team, we know you can't call event organizers right now because they're all locked down and losing their livelihoods. And so what you're going to do is you're going to be part of our customer service team. You're going to help those event organizers that are losing their livelihoods like we are. And we're just going to give them the best treatment we can, help them through this tough time. And uh, we looked after our clients and we got nothing but five-star reviews through COVID. Mm. And we're now four times larger than we were pre-COVID. And (laughs) we're the only ticket platform I know of in the world that's like that because we took a medium to long-term view. We didn't have VCs and investors breathing down our necks saying, get your cash burned down immediately. And so we took a longer-term perspective and it's paid off in spades. So yeah, in a crisis, if you can last, I mean, we were in a privileged position. We had a good balance sheet, but if you can see a way through it, like it takes so much to get that IP back in your people. Uh, It's such a cost to have to rehire a team like and and it's bad for morale and it's you know it's it's tough for your staff like it's just on so many fronts if you can avoid it and can actually be a humane decision but also a, a really for us it turned out in hindsight at least clearly to be a great commercial decision wow well you live your statement of making technology humane as as a technology company thank you no i was just gonna say i mean we firmly believe leadership comes from the front so like me and adam dropped our pay by the same amount as everyone else and i think it's really distasteful when like you're doing layoffs and senior leadership are getting massive raises and they're telling the staff that we're doing layoffs because of austerity measures it's just you got to walk the walk and and leadership comes from the front. And I think if you don't treat your employees like numbers on a spreadsheet, then you, you got to walk that in every front. And that was a good example of that. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful that you chose to come on the show and share leadership tips. And I appreciate knowing a leader like you who, as you said, <laughs> walks you. his talk. So if people want to know more about your company, they can go to humanitics.com and I'll put that in the description. But thank you again for being willing to contribute to other people the way you do. Well, thanks for hosting us and giving us a shout out. Pleasure to meet you.